thank you to the session for inviting me to preach this morning. Uh, Pastor Ben came down sick and he called me at, on Friday afternoon asking me to uh, preach. I'm used to doing crisis preaching, having been an associate uh, pastor in the past. Yes, I know that my face is red. It's not red because I'm embarrassed, but because I got a little too much sun yesterday. I call this the, the red badge of courage, your grandfather going out, fighting the elements of the vicious son to watch his grandson in a track meet. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I ask that you would turn to Psalm chapter 1. going to be reading all of the sermon all of the psalm this morning and since this is God's word I ask that you would give close attention to it as I read it not because I read it but because it is the word of the living God please hear now God's uh, the Psalms chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor seats sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go before the Lord once again and pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have appointed this day as the Lord's day, one day in seven for us to come and to worship you. We thank you, Father, not only for what we learn, but for the pleasure and the privilege that we have to come into your presence and be received with your favor as your children. So, Father, we pray as we open your word now and we try to learn from it the things that you would have us to know, we ask that you would give us the mind of Christ that we might understand your word in the way that you intended it. And we give you thanks, Father, for all that you'll do as we continue to look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We recently completed a, another year, so it's a good time to take account of our lives to what will make us happy, what will make us successful, what will make us prosperous in this coming year. And of course, the very place that we should turn to learn those things is in God's Word, because God is the one who determines the definition of success and happiness and prosperity. And of course, there's no better place than to find in God's directions than in the Psalms. The first psalm does not tell us who wrote the psalm or the occasion on which this psalm was written. Uh, and so that might make us wonder, uh, why is Psalm 1 Psalm 1? Why isn't Psalm chapter 2 Psalm 1? Because Psalm chapter 2 talks about the reign of God's Messiah. And that's an important issue that we need to know about. However, it's not Psalm 1. Or how about why in Psalm 23, Psalm 1? Because it talks about the Lord providing for and shepherding his people. And that's important to our lives. We need to know that he is the good shepherd to us. And yet Psalm 23 is not Psalm 1. 
And how about Psalm 91 that talks about God's protection over his people? That's certainly extremely important to all of us because we're all concerned, especially us men. I know I can identify with you about the provision of yourself and for your family. But Psalm 91 is not Psalm 1. And so Psalm 1 that we just read a few minutes ago must be important to God. The order of the Psalms is not inspired But God has ordered the Psalms providentially so that they are the same in everyone's Bible. And so God has placed Psalm 1 where he does because it is extremely important to him. And so it should be extremely important to us. And so with this in mind, let us look at the first two verses, which may be labeled the discriminating way of the blessed man. And it says in the very first verse that a man is described as blessed. And in scripture, to be blessed, it means that he is happy, which includes joy and thankfulness. He is blessed because he lives in fellowship with his God. And as in the new covenant, the people in the Psalms in the old covenant were blessed in the same way that we are. And that included receiving the way of salvation just as we do in this day in the new covenant. They were saved like we are by grace through faith, believing in the promises of God and in the Redeemer that God was going to send for his people. So we should identify with the people that are mentioned in Psalm chapter 1. It's not something that should be unfamiliar to us. And seeing that God's fellowship is his source of blessedness, we could also say that women and children are also included with the blessed man because they have a relationship with God just like males do. So this is not not, uh, intended to exclude any human being. We could say this is the blessed person rather than just calling him the blessed man. And so whether male or female, Adult or child, all are included. And contrary to what we might think, the blessed man is first described in the negative, what he should not do. People in our day don't like no, or they don't like people that have pessimistic views, but that is not the way that God says that we should have our outlook. He starts off with, it's a good thing to have blessings from God's perspective in this Psalms with things that we should avoid. And we see a parallel to this in the Ten Commandments, don't we? They are primarily negative in their form. And so negative does not necessarily mean bad. From God's perspective, negative is good. It doesn't diminish their importance as an expression of God's will. And so the blessed man resists those who live in rebellion against God, whom he describes as the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, along with three manners of expressing their rebellion, their counsel, their way, and their seat. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel is their thinking. It is their personal philosophy, their worldview, the way they see the prism that they see life through. And so they have the viewpoint of one who is an unbeliever. 
He further does not stand in the way of sinners. And the way of sinners means the sinner's practices, his lifestyle, which are not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord condemns that sort of lifestyle. And finally, the blessed person is one who does not sit in the seat of scoffer. To be a scoffer appears to be worse than a sinner or the wicked because a scoffer is more brazen. He's bolder in his defiance of God in his expressions. He openly shows contempt for the people of God. He even shows contempt for the ways of God and even God himself. And so the blessed man does not go to be with him, does not go to sit with him because that implies fellowship in the deeds of the scoffer, lest the blessed man become a scoffer himself. And so in rejecting the manner of life characterized by these three phrases, the blessed man rejects evil in whatever form he finds it. He keeps himself from these people's influences in his life. And of course, in saying that, I don't mean that we can't have fellowship with unbelievers because Jesus was called in the New Testament the friend of sinners, wasn't he? But of course, the reason that Jesus was called the friend of sinners is because he went into their fellowship to redeem them. And so when we have fellowship with people that are unbelievers, that should be our motive to be with them as well. Or at the very least, when we are around them, we have to be cautious so that they do not pull us into their lifestyle. And instead of us influencing them, they influence us. And so instead of them being transformed, we become transformed in their image. And by adopting this outlook, it's not as though the blessed man is critical of others, but he's not a spiritual rube either. He's a discerning man. He's not a man that can be taken care, taking advantage of. He loves other people. He accepts other people as they are until they give him a real good reason not to. He doesn't read into the things that they say too much, but he cares about them. He loves them in doing for them, being a good neighbor to them. So his life is the discriminating life as described in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, where the Lord Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now after the negative, consider the positive in verse 2. It says his state of blessedness is achieved by cultivating a delight in God's law, meaning the Bible. It's not that the blessed man has no delight or pleasure in the life, but his pleasure is in his God and God's revelation of himself to the blessed man. It's like the attitude expressed by the psalmist in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 and following, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It further says that the blessed man meditates on God's law. Meditation has become a very popular thing in our culture from what I see in the ads that are on TV. See people on there all the time. They're in the lotus position with their legs crossed and their hands out in front of them and they're thinking about something that makes their spirit calm. Well, the kind of meditation that God talks about is rather taking in his word, reading it, and not just reading it and closing the book, but reading it and thinking about it and mulling it over in our minds as to how does this apply to my life? And how does this compare to the other things in Scripture that I understand? And is there a conflict not in Scripture but in my own understanding of Scripture so I can work these things out so I can live accurately understanding the Word of God, doing what God would have me to do and living pleasing to Him. And so we should do so day and night, just like it says in verse 2. We should meditate on God's word uh, day and night. Now, I realize that people here have to work and they have to have their minds thinking about other things. But as much as possible that we can, we ought to be taking in the word of God and thinking about it and spending time for it because we will become blessed in doing so. It might require some effort, but the outcome is worth it. You know, I really like chocolate candy. <clears throat> How many people in here like chocolate? Raise your hands. Okay. That's really identified with the children. You know what kind of chocolate candy I like the best? I like Baby Ruth's. Because they're not only chocolate, but they have caramel and they have peanuts in it. And it's really, really good. I am 70 years old, and I've never gotten over my love of candy, and particularly Baby Ruth's. The only downside of Baby Ruth's is it's really sticky, and you have to chew it. And it takes a while sometimes to read it. But you get all the flavor out of it the longer that you chew it, and it's really, really good. Is the candy that you like like that too? You need to start eating Baby Ruth's if it's not. Well, that's the way it is with God's Word. We need to take it in and chew on it in our minds and mull it over and over in our minds and think about, as I said, how it applies in our life. But just like with Baby Ruth's, the effort that we put into it to draw all of the flavor out of it is the same way with God's Word. It's worth that effort. In verses 3 and 4, the resulting present conditions are given of the blessed and the wicked. In verse 3, the result of one who delights in and meditates on God's word says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. In the ancient Near East, water was a premium. Trees that were planted by water were usually vibrant trees. They were green trees. And trees that were not planted by water usually uh, withered up and eventually died. The blessed man is compared by, to the tree by the water. And further than that, the blessed person can be compared to the well-watered tree which yielded its fruit 
every season on time. Farit is used in the Bible as a figure of speech to indicate someone's deeds or their character traits. Fruit on a tree is the visible expression of whether there is vibrant life within him. And in all that he does, the blessed man prospers. And so taking all the pictorial terms of a tree in verse 3 in his book, The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life, Ralph Davis summarizes the righteous man as, quote, one who is planted or he is stable. He is planted by streams of water or he has vitality. As a tree, he gives his fruit or he is productive. He does not wither or he is durable. And all that he does prospers or he is prosperous, unquote. And so the blessed man has five characteristics, stability, vitality, productivity, durability, and prosperity. But does this mean that the psalmist and we believe in the health, wealth, and gospel, prosper, uh, prosperity gospel? No, it doesn't. Because we believe all the Bible. If this is all that we understood about the Bible, maybe it would indicate this. But the Bible teaches other things that counteract that belief in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Paul talks about being in need in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. And the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 frequently faced adversity, difficulty, certainly not what we would call health, wealth, and prosperity today. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so the blessed suffer through many tribulations, which certainly is not what the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teaches. So we believe all of the Bible, and God promises that we will be prosperous, but he also promises that there are times where we will enter into tribulation. The psalmist takes the broad view of prosperity over the course of one's life. And over time, one will see that his life is characterized by prosperity by God's standards, or from God's perspective, without necessarily meaning that one becomes outwardly healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And so from God's perspective, prosperity can mean inward uh, spiritual wealth. And in the context of delighting in God's law, it points more to inward prosperity or blessings which come to the Spirit in right relationship with, with God. And so those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it will prosper in their relationship with God and the things of his kingdom. And so when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, they will certainly be the blessed man's. He will have love, joy, peace, patience in his life, not perfectly, but they will be there. And it might further include such things as a good marriage, or good parenting, or kids that turn out right. And how many people here don't want their marriage and their kids to turn out bad? Amen. Riches that one cannot put in the bank, but are far more valuable than money, property, or possessions. In all that he does, the blessed man's prosper. 
So even materially, he prospers in that God provides all that he needs. And after it's all said and done, he might also prosper a hundredfold materially, according to Matthew chapter 9, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, uh, 33, read the wrong verse. Matthew chapter 19, had it right to begin with. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. And further than that, he can depend materially on God because Psalm chapter 37 says, in the days of famine, they have abundance. So God promises his people will be provided for even when other people are not being provided for. A little further on in Psalm chapter 37 in verse 25, it says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Fellas, when you think about your job and if you're having difficulty providing for your family, there's a promise that you can really depend on, that your children will not have to beg for bread because God will provide for you as a believer. The resulting condition of the wicked is shown in verse 4. They are compared to chaff. And in his commentary on the Psalms, H.C. Leopold says, the scattering of the chaff involves a more picturesque figure than the average reader supposes. In the Holy Land, the threshing floors are on elevated ground in the mixture of straw, stubble, chaff, and grain is taken off the heat left by threshing and tossed into the steady breeze of the moonlit night. The breeze does the winnowing, and the regular practice of the husbandman thereafter was either to burn the chaff with fire, if it was a sizable heap, or to let the wind dispose of it without further concern on his part. What a drastic picture of futility when life yields nothing more substantial than useless remains scattered so completely so as not to be found when sought." Unquote. And so the lives of the wicked are futile. They're useless, unproductive, and worthless from God's point of view. And further like chaff, the wicked are lightweights, and therefore they're helpless against the storms of life because they have only themselves to depend on. And so they're easily overcome as smoke from a chimney in a strong wind. So futility and helplessness characterize the wicked. And thus, the temporal circumstances are often marked by difficulty without hope of ever recovering. In verses 5 and 6, the future of the righteous and the wicked are contrasted. In verse 5, the wicked have no place in the congregation or among God's people. And in the day of judgment, he has no defense to make to God for the evil of his life. He is like the man of Psalm 73 who may materially prosper for a time, perhaps through his whole life, but his end will be as stated in Psalm 73, 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. However, it is not so for the righteous or the blessed man, because in his case, the Lord knows his way. And to know his way means more than the Lord knows about him. The Lord knows about the wicked, doesn't he? He knows about every detail of the wicked man's life. 
And so when it says that he knows the blessed man, it means he knows the blessed man with approval, with love and affection as one of his children. And so the blessed man, when he comes to the day of judgment, is going to be the blessed man in the judgment, comparing that to everything else it says in this chapter about both the blessed man and the wicked. God approves of the blessed man's manner of life and cares for him in every circumstances that he finds. And so what is our response to this psalm today? Do you delight in the word of God? Do I delight in the word of God? Do you spend time and do I spend time seeking to learn God's law and meditating upon it? And if you do, then you can take comfort from this psalm. If you're a believer and you don't, then you can start doing so today. That doesn't mean that you've missed out and the train has left the station without you. It's time to begin today to read God's word regularly on a day and then spend time thinking about how it applies to your life, improving your understanding of God's word, not just for knowledge, but also for a life of obedience to the Lord because the Lord is worthy of it. Because the Lord is kind and good, and he's the best person you're ever going to know. Or do you seek to live by the wicked man's standards? The wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer who are living in rebellion against God and against God's word. And so today or tomorrow, you have no certainty in life of God's blessing. You're having to rely only on your resources because you cannot rely on the resources that God provides to the blessed man. And if you die, you will stand before God unable to give an account for the way that you've lived your life. But all is not lost. There's one more chance as long as you're breathing. You can change that today. You can repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means more than believing a few facts. That means that Jesus becomes your Lord or your master and your savior. That means now that you're going to turn away from the life that you used to live as the wicked, the scoffer, and the unbeliever, and you're now going to be a believer and a child of God, and you're going to follow Jesus and follow the teachings of his word in this book. That doesn't mean you're going to follow it perfectly. And you say, I'm not sure that I can finish the course if I start to follow Jesus. You know what? I said that 40 years ago. And I'm still following Jesus today. And you want to know why? And God tells us we need to count the cost. Because the Christian life is not easy. You do. You need to count the cost about following Jesus. Because it's not going to be a path of roses. But you have God to rely on. You have God in his power to give you the power to live the Christian life. Again, not perfectly. There isn't a perfect person in this building except God. And so don't let that hold you back. Come to Jesus today. Become his disciple. Become his follower. Endeavoring to do what he uh, says to do. And trusting in him alone. Not your own deeds. In him alone to provide salvation for you. He died on the cross so that you would have forgiveness of sins if you become a believer today. And he provides you with a righteousness that you don't have on your own because none of us are righteous in God's sight. But he earned a righteousness that is credited to your account if you come to faith in him. And then God 
counts you forgiven of your sins and gives you, and you have right standing with God and are therefore justified before God and have eternal life. Come to Jesus today. If you're the believer, continue reading your Bible, continue meditating on it. If you're not, start doing so today. And I pray that you will have a blessed life in 2022. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious promises of your word. And Father, we tremble at the threatenings of your word as well. We do pray, Father, that you would help us, that we would not be among those who are called the wicked and the scoffers. We ask, Father, that you would help us to live the life that you command in your word. We pray that you would give us the power to live what you say to do in your word. Help us, Father, to feel a little more devoted to you in this coming week to love you a little more deeply. And we ask it all, Father, giving thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.